Let's open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, where we will finish the book called The Preacher today by God's grace. These last words are very precious words, as the wise man, Solomon, sums up the whole matter that he undertook in the beginning of that book, and that is to find the profit and purpose of man under the sun. And he gives it to us in such simple language with such few points, but they're so profound and so important for us to please God and to survive this world and to succeed in the next. All wrapped up in just a few syllables in our language. We concluded last week in the first half of chapter 12 by coming to a place where Solomon describes in graphic detail by metaphors the decay of the human body and then tells us in the seventh verse that the dust then returns to the earth as it was. We were formed from dust by God forming us into dust and breathing into our nostrils the breath of life. And when He takes away that breath of life or the human spirit, which returns to Him, the dust returns to the ground where it was brought from. And upon concluding that statement, He then said in verse 8, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Everything in this life that is based on our physical body or our physical existence is vanity because it is going to amount to nothing. He starts the book off this way in verse 2 of the first chapter, and he concludes the book this way, and that is the end of the book as far as his purpose. And then he has this short little declaration at the end that is tacked on explaining his purpose and humbly, in the third person, describing what he did with the wisdom God gave him, and then summing the whole thing up in two verses. But wrapped in between those vanity of vanities, we have a description of how we can live in a way that pleases God and is profitable for our lives under the sun. And interspersed through them are some references to the fear of the Lord that we will get in the 13th verse. But if you base your life on the things that you can acquire or the things that you can accomplish or the people you learn, you get to know in this life, it's all going to turn into vanity because there comes evil days that you're not even going to have any pleasure in them and then your life altogether ends as far as this earth is concerned. And so it is vanity of vanities, of all the vanities that we can imagine, of all the vanities that can be listed, the vanity of human existence is the greatest. Because in our physical existence, nothing you're going to take nothing with you. You brought nothing in and you're not going to take nothing with you. The Lord doesn't care what you've accomplished because what you've accomplished is nothing in His sight. It amounts to nothing. We're going to turn to dust. You can work out ever so hard. You can have the biggest biceps you want. You can push as many pounds as you want on a leg sled. You can run as fast as you can in the 40-yard dash. It all amounts to nothing because in just a couple months, you're not even going to be able to move 40 yards. We're going to have to roll you. Because you're going to be in a wheelchair. It amounts to nothing. You're going to go out of this world stark naked. So it doesn't matter about your clothes. You're going to need a whole lot more than makeup when you go out of this world. Makeup's not going to cover the fact that you have some serious problems with your face. And it's part it's life. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. He starts the book and he ends the book. But now he tells us, in a few verses, and they're precious words, about some things that aren't vain. 
and some things that we want to love. And I hope that we're here today to hear them, to humble ourselves before them, and to delight in them. I appreciate the words that were spoken from Psalm 119. I appreciate the passages that were read from Acts, because they all describe the beauty and glory and preciousness of God's words. Amen. Oh, how love I thy law! Yes! David was passionate about the words of God. And, and weren't the Gentiles in Antioch of Pisidia pretty passionate too? They wanted to hear the words of the Lord. The whole city came together to hear Paul and Barnabas preach. And that eunuch, he went on his way rejoicing. rejoicing the same way that those in Nehemiah chapter 8 were full of gladness because they understood the word of God. The poor man was confused by Isaiah 53. You take Isaiah 53 for granted because some beautiful feet have come to your life that taught you what Isaiah 53 was about. So you, we go on our way rejoicing that we know it's speaking of Jesus, the Son of God. And not Isaiah and not any other man, but Jesus, our Savior. Let's come to verse 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. And moreover, in addition to what I have explained in the first 11 and a half chapters, which takes us through the middle of chapter 12, Solomon is going to add another thought, a final exhortation, a final explanation, and a final exaltation of the words of God and the words of truth, upright words that we want to lay hold of. That's what we have the word moreover there for. And moreover, in addition to this philosophy of life that I have just laid out before you, because the preacher was wise, he did a little bit more teaching than just this little book. He taught the book of the Song of Solomon, which we've already had referred to, and he taught the book of Proverbs. Because the preacher was wise, do we, do we remember who wrote this book? And how it is commended to us by the God of heaven who chose its secretary, its writer. The author is God, but the secretary is Solomon. And God used the experiences and observations of Solomon to give us these words. And he commends these words to us by letting them come from the pen of a wise and mighty king. And those facts about Solomon should help us humble ourselves before the wisdom of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. But he was wise. When the Lord came to Solomon in a dream in 1 Kings chapter 3 and said, What wilt thou that I do for thee? You know, Solomon said, Listen, I'm but a little child. I don't think I can operate this kingdom the way my father did. So can you give me a wise and understanding heart to know how to go out and come in before these so great a people? 
And the Lord heard that request and He loved that request. And I exhort all of you to pray for wisdom. Because the Bible tells us in James, which is the New Testament, which means we can lay hold of it for ourselves, that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. Amen. You've had offered to you the same offer that God offered to Solomon, and I hope we'll lay hold of it. By asking for wisdom, he'll give it. And he'll give it liberally, like he did to Solomon. He said, Solomon, there's not going to have been a king before you, and there's not going to be a king after you with the wisdom that you're going to have. And Solomon had that wisdom. When I look in 1 Kings chapter 4, and I read a little bit about Solomon's wisdom, I find these words. And Solomon... Oh, let me make sure I get the right words. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much. That's liberally. And largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. That's liberally. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country. And all the wisdom of Egypt. Oh, you gotta go to school and learn about Egypt. Who wants to learn anything about Egypt except that God devastated the place when he pulled the people of God out of it? What else do you want to know about the place? It's a bunch of sand at the north part of the continent of Africa that if it didn't have one river running through it, not a single person could be alive. Go look at a map of Egypt and see where everybody has to live in striking distance from the Nile River or on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea because there's nothing else there. Egypt. They built the pyramids. Bless their hearts. They haven't built anything since. I remember being a 10-year-old boy in 1967 and laughing about how Israel, with its 200-man army, beat Syria in the north, Jordan in the east, and Egypt in the south in six days. There were pictures in Time and Life magazine back in those days that you could take a look at their World War I surplus tanks that Egypt was still using in 1967 that littered the desert all the way back to Egypt as the little Israeli police force destroyed their army, air force, and everything they had. The wisdom of Egypt. But when you go to school, and children, I'm speaking to you, and that's why I just took that rabbit trail. When you go to school and they tell you about the wisdom of Egypt, what wisdom? They worship dogs. They worshipped insects. There was no light in the land of Egypt, and there still isn't. Solomon was wiser than all the men of Egypt and had more wisdom than all the wisdom of Egypt. Verse 31, for he was wiser than all men. This is the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's why we have the words, and moreover, because the preacher was wise. He was very wise. He was wiser than all men. Then Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, and Kelkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all nations round about. This writer of this book was a great writer. And he was a very wise man. And we should give good attention to his book. And he spake 3,000 proverbs. And his songs were a 1,005. And it goes on to tell that he could speak of trees. And that the kings of the earth came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this writer. But I want to tell you something. There's one wiser than Solomon. That's right. 
And in Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the great shepherd that gave Solomon the words that he wrote to us. However, Solomon is telling us that he did more than just the book of Ecclesiastes. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. He did not let that gift of knowledge just sit in his heart. He used it, and he continued to use it. He didn't end with the little short 12-chapter pamphlet called Ecclesiastes. He gave us a book called the book of Proverbs. And let me tell you, the book of Proverbs takes a whole lot more creative genius and effort than the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is a little philosophy about how we ought to live. But for you to take some wonderful rules of how to live and convert them to Proverbs takes a lot of creative work. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom for two things. First of all, he had the wisdom of content. He had the wisdom of how we ought to live. He had the wisdom of how things worked. He had the wisdom from God of what God would bless and what God would judge. He had the wisdom of relationships. He had the wisdom of employment. He had all that wisdom in content, but he also had the wisdom of how to communicate it. And he chose to communicate it by Proverbs, and of course, it's by the blessing and direction of God. God gave him a creative genius to put these words into the form of Proverbs. And they're a great blessing to us. And we ought not to neglect them. And I have labored to help you understand them. And I hope that we learn them. And I hope that we can, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an example. Hear just a few words of English on our ears and remember the rules of Solomon for wise living. Ecclesiastes gives us a foundation. It gives us a philosophy, a godly philosophy, that is, of how to live. But the book of Proverbs puts legs to it. The book of Proverbs gives us specifics. The book of Proverbs gets downright detailed about how we ought to live. And so the preacher here is telling us by the inspiration of God that the Lord had given him wisdom and he didn't let that wisdom go to waste. He still taught the people knowledge. Yea, this is how he did it. He didn't quit with the book of Ecclesiastes. He included a book called the book of Proverbs. Yea, he gave good heed. That means he was very careful and very diligent and applied himself. To give heed to something is to give attention and care to it. He gave good heed. He gave good heed. He applied himself with all his might to be able to communicate some things to us that would be of help to us. He gave good heed and sought out. He searched what rules would really benefit men on how to live. And he set in order many Proverbs. He applied himself as carefully and as diligently as he could to find what rules would help us live life to please God and to have successful lives. And then he converted those to Proverbs. And he did that by the wisdom of God. And that's what verse 9 is all about. He did not quit with the book of Ecclesiastes. And so he directs us, since you've laid the foundation of how to live, now go get some details from the book of Proverbs. How many Proverbs did he write? 3,000 according to 1 Kings chapter 4. How many do we have? About 500. You know, we have some long ones in the book of Proverbs that take up a number of verses. So don't just go and look at the number of verses. That's not the number of Proverbs. It's quite a bit less than that. And there's some Proverbs in there by other men as well that Solomon sought out and found and set in order some wonderful things. And so the first verse of the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon. The son of David, king of Israel. 
Chapter 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. Chapter 25, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah searched out. And we have this collection of Proverbs. What a wonderful blessing. A proverb is a short, pithy, creative, little statement that conveys a rule of how to live. It, it conveys the excellency of wisdom and teaches us some wise aspect of truth in very creative language. Listen to, the, listen to me. This is what a proverb is for. That with just a couple of words, your mind is triggered to a rule. There is that scattereth. Do you know the rest of that statement? Does that bring to your mind a rule? There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. And the rest of that verse goes on to say, And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. You hear those words. Now listen. If you just heard those words and you didn't know where I was going, it's your fault. One brother's already told you it's your fault if you don't know the Word of God, because we have it. Men have died so that you can have it in our language. Right. Last night I thanked the God of Heaven for John Wycliffe and William Tyndale, and I don't care if I disagree with them on some points. I know one thing, they gave their lives so that I could have the Bible in English. Right. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah, it's in English. I don't care about the Greek and Hebrew. There's more fruit from this English Bible than the Greek and Hebrew ever had. This Bible is circled this, and the population of America is greater than the population of the world when they use Greek and Hebrew. Thank the Lord for the English language and for the Bible we have. And these words ought to be tinkling sounds on your ears. He made many proverbs by His wisdom, and God gave them to us. Moreover, I'm not just giving you the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says. I sought out. I gave good heed. I did the best I could. I used God's wisdom. To give you many proverbs. Let's get going again. A soft answer. Turneth away wrath. When someone's mad at you, I'm going to tell you a rule. How you can win the day. Respond or reply. But not replond or respy. Reply with a... It's going to get worse. Pretty soon you'll have to come up and dab my chin off. Reply with a soft answer. Do you know what the Bible says about a prince that's angry with you? By long forbearing, a prince is persuaded and a, a soft tongue breaks his bones. That's, that's a proverb. That is wonderful language. It, the wise man filled us. He gave us a book of these. He was wiser than all the wisdom of Egypt. Forget the pyramids. Learn the proverbs. Go to, the, go to the ant. Thou sluggard. Because whenever we look at an anthill, those ants aren't, they're not, they don't got their hands clasped behind their head, lying back, they're not taking a break, they're not at the water fountain. They're busily running around, even if it's only one grain of sand they're carrying, but I'll tell you, they can mess up your yard with one grain of sand at a time. So it says, go to the ant. Put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Because you're running the risk of men seducing you with a good meal. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Well, that sounds like a terrible dilemma. How do we get rid of it? But the rod of correction will drive it far from him. 
Are these precious? And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people. He didn't quit with Ecclesiastes. He gave us Proverbs. He gave good heed. He sought out. He set in order many Proverbs. And God gave us the cream of the cream. 500 of the 3,000. A friend loveth at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A gracious woman retaineth honor. Five precious words. If a woman wants to retain honor and be highly esteemed, she'll learn to be gracious. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all an increase. Is there, is there a reward attached to those words? Honor the Lord with thy substance. The next verse says, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and isn't that a good, isn't that a great little proverb? Yes. Trust in the Lord. Where do we want to put our trust? In our own understanding. But it says, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All. all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Are you learning the book of Proverbs and are you teaching it to your children? The Lord, nor I, nor anyone gives a rip if they know about the pyramids. But do they know the Proverbs? Do they know the Proverbs? Do they live the Proverbs? Can they speak the Proverbs? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Listen to this one. How precious is this, man? Favor is deceitful. And, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That is a life-saving verse. That is a life-saving verse. One verse. Favor. Oh, girls can do anything to win your favor. Girls can do favors for you to win your heart, to win your proposal. Beauty is vain. It's empty. That's not where the measure of a real woman's at. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. In one verse. Did that man use some wisdom? There's... How do we describe the wisdom that is communicated in the one sentence of Proverbs 31.30 that I just quoted? Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Do you know how much he jam-packed into those few words? Go read the four-and-a-half-page commentary on it. And I just scratched the surface. Who can find a virtuous woman? With all thy getting... Get understanding. Who teaches us that? What, when was the last time you saw a television commercial that said, with getting all this stuff, make sure you get understanding? <laughs> Nobody tells us about these things except the wise man. Oh, I had so... Listen, I know you could multiply this a thousand times, but doesn't this stir your interest to get, to get out of here and go home and read the book of Proverbs or get up tomorrow morning and read the book of Proverbs? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So your whole life starts here. Keep your heart with all diligence. About your wife, let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Be thou ravished always with her love. 
Where do witty inventions come from according to the book of Proverbs? From wisdom. God gives by wisdom. Witty inventions. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop or in the wilderness than with a brawling, contentious woman. Is there wisdom in that verse? Young men, you can be saved 50 years of marital hell by learning that verse. And then bringing your prospects around us older men. Because we can, we can whip it really easy. And we'll tell you in advance. Wine is a... Buy the truth and sell it not. He that loveth pureness of heart... For the grace of his lips... The king shall be his friend. What a verse. That's a prince. You want to be a prince in the earth? That's the only way you can be a prince in the earth. Pure heart, gracious lips, the king wants to be your friend. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Isn't that comforting? Better is little with... The fear of the Lord, better is little with love, better is little with peace and quiet. All the comparisons that the wise man makes. You know, he got to try it all. And he says that there's, there's priorities. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. Thank you, blessed God. Our Father, your Father and my Father, did not leave us destitute of wisdom in this world. He has saved us with an everlasting salvation for the glory of heaven and for the glory of showing to the universe His benevolent kindness and great love towards sinful enemies. But while we're here, He said, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, He still taught the people knowledge, and He gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. May the Lord bless you to get up in the morning and read a proverb, think about a proverb, memorize proverbs, learn proverbs, cross-reference proverbs, line them up by topic, apply them every day, think of a proverb for everything you watch on the television. Think of a proverb for everything you read in the news. Think of a proverb for what happens to you at school. Find a proverb for it, so that you learn to take the proverb and exercise yourself by it. The Bible says, for when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, because you haven't exercised yourself to discern good and evil. The book of Proverbs has it. I'm forced to talk about Proverbs for a few minutes by the grace of God and the book called the Ecclesiastes. Because the Holy Spirit wants you not to quit with Ecclesiastes, but to go on and put legs to the philosophy of how you practically should live. And it's there in the book of Proverbs. It tells me that collard greens, I have had them once or twice. Collard greens, herbs, I'm going to call it an herb. I'm sorry, I know. With peace and quiet and love. And righteousness is better than a stalled ox. What's a stalled ox? That's a fatted calf. That's an ox that's been put in a stall so it can get fat, so it can be nice, juicy steaks. It's better. It's better to have a dry morsel. That's my saltine. A dry morsel and peace and love therewith. 
What a wonderful book. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Verse 10, the preacher, Solomon, sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. What can we say about the book of Proverbs from verse 10? It's a great book. It's upright words. It's acceptable words. And it's words of truth. And so is Ecclesiastes. And so is the Song of Solomon. And by inference, so is every other book of the Bible. I got a letter written by somebody yesterday. I found your website. I'm so thankful. I want to learn the Word of God. Would you please tell me what role the apocryphal books ought to have in my daily devotions? Where in the world did that person come from except the Roman Catholic Church? So I had, I had a little bit of pleasure. I wrote as kindly and as gently as I could because they've probably never heard the truth. They said the early apostolic church used the apocryphal books and the King James doesn't have them. So I'm, I'm deprived because you refer to a 66 book Bible, but there's more books. This was yesterday. I said, oh no, there's not more than 66 books. And the true churches of Jesus Christ have only had 66 books. Tell me what a pro- apocryphal book is quoted in the New Testament. There are no apocryphal books quoted in the New Testament. Do you know what the word apocrypha means? When somebody lays on you that the King James Bible, when it was printed in 1611, had the apocryphal books in it, do you know what the word apocrypha means? False writings, spurious writings, counterfeit writings, not canonical scripture. How many times per page did the King James translators put the word apocrypha over the apocrypha? Four times a page, two times per leaf, four times per page. When you open up the table of contents of a King James Bible, it says, here are the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. It just stuck those books in between because there was a little bit of historical value because some of them referred to the 400-year intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. But don't you ever let anybody tell you that the King James Bible had the Apocrypha in it. They don't know what they're talking about and they're trying to deceive you. And they're scorners. Because Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, two of the Catholic Bibles that they are supporting, the ones that want to argue about the Apocrypha, they're devotees of Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Those two manuscripts have the Apocrypha interspersed in the Old and the New Testament. You can't even find it. It's just interspersed as if it's Scripture. The King James Bible segregated it and identified it as false writings and said it wasn't part of the Scripture because Scripture is Old Testament and New Testament. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Solomon applied himself. He sought. He was the wisest man on earth. Wiser than all men. We just read it in 1 Kings 4. He sought to find out acceptable words. He worked to find the very best words, words that we would delight in, words that we could profit from, words that would help us, words that we could understand, and words that were right before God, that God would approve of. He sought to find out those words. When men wrote Scripture, they were not robots. Their effort was involved. Their desire was involved. Their hearts and passions were involved. But God directed every word that ended up on the page. We don't divorce either from the equation. We certainly don't divorce God. But you can see the different writing styles by reading different writers in Scripture, even though it comes from one author. Let me show you a couple of references about inspiration. Look at Psalm 45. Psalm 45. Now, I want to be very, very careful because I was, I was taught at the world's most unusual university that we don't want to believe in the mechanical dictation theory. And I disagree. I want to believe in the mechanical dictation theory. God dictated and they wrote down what God dictated. I don't find a problem with that. 
Because God's wise enough to dictate through their learning experiences. Because Solomon said, I sought out the words. But God directed him to do that. God moved his heart. God inspired him to do that. Then God directed him to find the words that he found. Psalm 45. This is David speaking about his inspiration. My heart is indicting a good matter. I was taught that we believe, this is at the world's most unusual university, in the verbal plenary inspiration theory of the Bible, and said we can't accept the mechanical dictation theory. Mechanical dictation, meaning God dictates, and they wrote down. But look what it says in Psalm 45, verse 1, My heart is indicting a good matter. Do you know what the word indicting means? Dictating. My heart is dictating a good matter. My heart is dictating words to me. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. His tongue, he could speak them. His pen, he could write them. Because his heart was dictating words that he should speak or write. That's inspiration. I love it. God gave the words. The Bible tells us the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That movement is inspiration. That movement in their heart resulted in words they could speak or in words they could write. Turn to Jeremiah 36. Please, I'm a little... No, no, we're doing fine. Jeremiah 36. Listen to... I want want you to hear Jeremiah and Baruch confronted about what inspiration is. (laughs) Where'd you get those words? How did you get those words? Well, he's going to tell us. I love, I had so much fun this week with Jeremiah 36. Amen. Go home and read Jeremiah 36 and just rejoice. I'm going I'm to I'm read a few verses out of it because we don't have time for the whole chapter. I'm going to really be in trouble. Jeremiah 36, I'm going to read 1 through 4. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations. From the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. (laughs) Does that sound like mechanical dictation theory to you? I'm going to speak, and you're going to write. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Now, how much plainer does he need to be? Take the roll of a book. I have spoken to you words. You write those words down. Jeremiah didn't have good penmanship, so he got Baruch to actually write the words down that Jeremiah spoke to him, that God had spoken to Jeremiah. And that's how you get a book of the Bible. The Apostle Paul didn't write most of the epistles in the New Testament. He had other men write them, and sometimes it'll tell you the name of the man who wrote them. But then he would pull out his pen, and he'd put his Paul on it, wouldn't he? How did he put Paul on the end of his epistles? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That was his salutation to know it was an epistle from Paul. Back to Jeremiah 36. Lord, bless us to trust your word totally. Chapter, I mean, verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 17. I'm going to read two verses. 
They're confronting Baruch about this book he's got. And they ask Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? What, what kind of a... Who's buried in Grant's tomb? Where were the Paris peace talks held? The question's pretty stupid. Then Baruch answered them, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Now, I'll, these men of, aren't these men of God wonderful? Let's go, let's go over that one more time, because I can't really figure it out. Their question. Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? They're admitting, he spoke the words and you wrote them down, but how would you write down words that he spoke? He said, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, the king had... Oh, I'm sorry. There's a little burning in here. They got their hands on that book and burned it. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After that, the king had burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah. Does that sound like mechanical dictation theory? How many times does God have to repeat it to us until we'll humble ourselves that the words we have in the Bible are God's words? Saying, here's what the Lord tells Jeremiah now, verse 28. Take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. Thank you, Lord. We still have the book of Jeremiah. And we come to verse 32. we got a few extra chapters. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. We got the rest of the chapters. So we have the book of Jeremiah, and that's how we have the Bible. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. There's so much more that could be said about the doctrine of inspiration, but we believe that the words of our King James Bible are the words of God given to us in our language. Amen. We believe that God, the Holy Ghost, moved holy men so that they, were, they wrote by one author. Therefore, it's all unified together in one whole, and we can trust every word. We believe every word of God is pure. We believe man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We believe that arguments can be based on individual words because Jesus and Paul showed us how to do it. That is what we believe about the Bible, and we do get highly offended when people raise any other Bible version that has any other attitude toward the words of God than that. And when they start, when you hear the word paraphrase, do you know what the word paraphrase means? The word paraphrase means I took the words of God and I put them into my own words. That is not a Bible. That's a novel about the Bible. That belongs with all the other CD novels that are sold at dime stores. That is not the Bible. The Bible is God's words. I don't want your phrase about what the Word of God means. I want God's words. Because it's God's words that we meditate upon. It's God's words that we have with us every day. It's God's words that make us wiser than our enemies, teachers, and ancients. It's God's words that are sweeter to our taste than honey and more precious than gold. It's God's words, not man's words about God's words. Amen. Even though there are Phillips that help eunuchs with 
understanding the words of God. But listen, if you ever tamper with the source document, we are in, we are in total trouble. Right. We can never tamper with the source document. Those are the words of the living God. How did we get them? He pronounced them, and I wrote them with ink. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I, love, I love the Bible. A brother told you that there's things sweet in it. Is that sweet to you or not? Amen. I get amused by that exchange. Amen. You know, I had a brother write me this week about John 9 because he was amused by the exchange in John 9 between the Pharisees and the parents of the blind man. Because right. yep. that's pretty amusing. It's sweet to your taste. It was sweet to his taste. It was sweet to mine to read it. It's sweet to read Jeremiah 36. I pronounced them, and he wrote them with ink. Do you get that? Ecclesiastes 12. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Brother Newell has already read this passage, but I'm going to read it to you again, because it's worth hearing again. My mouth, this is speaking of wisdom. My mouth shall speak truth. And righteousness is an abomination, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. When wisdom speaks, the preacher was wise, the preacher still taught knowledge, and he sought out acceptable words, and the words that were written were upright, words of truth. The words of wisdom are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. When we find a contradiction in the Bible, we give God the benefit of the doubt and go figure out how it can be satisfied to give God the integrity that the Bible is true. We do not start talking about scribes making scribal errors. We do not start talking about flies having jumped into the inkwell and then landing on the page and dragging their butts across the letter, changed it to a different letter. They talk, commentators and textual critics will talk that way. They, they will draw the one Hebrew letter and then they will draw the other Hebrew letter and show the path of the fly. Or the scribal error with the hand movement. Oh no. Listen, not a sparrow can fall from heaven. Do you think he can take care of the words of the God? The words of the Bible? He says he's preserved them from this generation forever. The word, the preacher sought to find that acceptable words and that which was written was upright. Even words of truth. Brethren, the words of truth we have in the Bible are such a treasure and a heritage that you have. It's the only truth in the universe that's put down in writing for you to have. Let God be true, but listen to what it says. But every man a liar, including me. Let God be true. But every man a liar, including you. Let God be true. But every man a liar, including Billy Graham. Including Jesse Jackson. Including Reggie Jackson. The one could probably preach as well as the other. Let God be true. But every man a liar. These are the words of truth. And they work effectually. Do you love these words? The preacher saw... This is, this is Solomon as a preacher. This is Solomon as a preacher. He gave good heed. He sought out. He sought to find acceptable words. The perfect wording. God's words. Perfect truth. And the, the things that were written were upright. Words of truth. And I want to tell you one more thing about them. They work effectually. Right. They, they are not magical. You cannot lay a Bible on your chest and go to sleep at night and be better for it in the morning. But if you will read the Word of God 
And to the extent of your ability, say, Lord, I want to learn truth right now and open the Bible and take a few minutes. The Word of God works effectually in those that believe. If you believe it's the Word of God, like I have just briefly explained to you, here's what the Bible says about it. Paul didn't want them to accept his teaching. He wanted them to accept the words of God, and they did it. Thessalonica. Listen to this. For this cause, for this cause, this is Paul speaking about the Thessalonians. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Wow! He sought at acceptable words, and the words that were written were upright, even words of truth. The Bible is words of truth. Let God be true, but every man a liar, and God has written what He wants us to know. The secret things belong unto Him, but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. Oh, how love I thy law! I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thy word is true, O Lord. It's settled forever in heaven. This is what we're, this is what Solomon ends the book of Ecclesiastes with. There's one thing for you to lay hold upon in this life of vanity. It's the Word of God. Because the Word of God is not vain. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words and that which was written was upright. Even words of truth. Could more be said? Yes, a whole lot more could be said. Verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads. And as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. The words of the wise are as goads. The individual words of Scripture are as goads. What is a goad? A goad is a long, pointed stick for a man behind an ox. When the ox gets a little tired, you can just take that long, pointed stick and give it a jab in its hind quarters, and it will move forward again. And the words of the wise are to every good hearer as a goad. We get pricked, don't we? You know, sometimes people say, you stepped on my toes today. The better expression would be, you poked me today. You goaded me. Because we want to goad ourselves into doing God's commandments. And so there's that prick from the... What did Jesus say to Saul of Tarsus? Why do you kick against the the pricks? You know, we do not know, we do not know what was going through Saul of Tarsus' mind when he sat with the coats of the men that stoned Stephen. What did Stephen look like? An angel. What did Stephen say? I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of power. What else did Stephen say? Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You know, we don't know if he got three pricks at that time. We don't know. But Jesus had been pricking him. And he says, why do you keep kicking against the pricks? Now it's time to get busy. What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? We come into the house of God and we want to be pricked and poked. We want to be goaded. We do not want to come here for any other reason. We do not want to come here for entertainment. Most every other church in this country today has set itself up for entertainment. Make everybody feel happy, make everybody feel good, and they can all go home backslapping each other. We want to go home knowing that God has spoken to us and those words were like goads in our soul. 
pricking us to move forward, quickening us according to His Word that we might keep His commandments. The words of the wise are His goads. The wise here are His preachers, His prophets, His teachers. The words of the wise, like Solomon, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies. We call a master of ceremonies the person responsible for a ceremony to keep the event moving and to introduce other speakers or other participants in that ceremony. A master of an assembly was the leader of an assembly. When the congregation of Israel would get together, there was someone in charge for an orderly meeting. And those masters of assemblies were usually the ones that taught the Word of God. Like Ezra in Nehemiah chapter 8. That's why I had you read Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra stood up before the people. The people came to Ezra and said, we want a Bible preaching service. Ezra stood up. He had seven Levites on one side, seven Levites on the other, and they unloaded the Word of God on the people. They read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly. They gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading. When we come to the New Testament, Acts chapter 13, Antioch of Pisidia, where our brother Leon read from the latter part of the chapter, if you go to the front part of the chapter, Paul and Barnabas were sitting in this assembly. They were visitors from Jerusalem across the Mediterranean Sea. There was a, there was a position in that synagogue called the rulers of the synagogue. They were the masters of assemblies. And they said, men and brethren, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? Say I. The masters of assemblies, the teachers. Jesus, when he got up in, in Luke chapter 4 and read in Isaiah 61, he then closed the book and handed it to the minister, the leader of the assembly, and then he went and sat down. These masters of assemblies, and that's, forget that point now. The masters of assemblies, God's teachers, prophets, leaders, who teach the Word of God. If you're a husband in a home, you're that master of assembly with your wife. If you're a father in your home, you're a master of assembly with your family. And so forth. But they're as nails fastened. Nails, plural. Now a goad, we've explained, long pointed stick that you poke somebody in the back to get them moving forward. A nail fastened. A nail holds things together and builds things. But a nail sticks deep into material and sticks there. It's the principle of a wedge. You drive a nail through one piece of wood into another piece of wood and it stays there. And the words of the wise, the words from masters of assemblies, are like nails fastened. They're driven into our heart, they're driven into our brain, they're driven into our mind, they're driven into our soul, and hopefully they stick there. And we want to help them stick there. We don't want to let the devil come by and snatch away the Word of God that hasn't been stuck there. And you can help stick it there by, by listening attentively and accepting the Word of God and letting it prick your soft heart. The response of the heart is totally dependent upon the grace of God and your diligence. You know, in Acts chapter 2, there were some men that were pricked in their hearts. And in Acts chapter 5 or 6 or 7, they were cut to the heart. The difference is the preparation in the heart of man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. But nails fastened. A nail, we drive it through one piece of wood into another piece of wood or into another substance, and it sticks there. And the words of the masters of assemblies stick in our hearts and our minds. We remember them. I just gave you a little quiz. A soft answer. Turneth away wrath. You've been taught that. Not just by me. You've been taught it by fathers, husbands, and other preachers. But it's fastened there. And I hope we never lose it. It can be snatched away. It can be choked out by the cares of this world. It can be burned away by the sun of persecution. I hope it will bear much fruit. The words of the wise are as goads. They poke us. 
We want to love those words. We want to get in the book of Proverbs and find something that we're not doing. And then go change. Because it goaded us. And we want to remember it. So we don't ever change back to do with the backslide. That's in there too. 14.4. Let me make sure. And if it's not 14.4, then I'm probably in trouble. It's not 14.4. So I am in trouble. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. We don't want to backslide. We want that nail fastened by the masters of assembly, which are given from one shepherd. Who's that one shepherd? God, the author of Scripture. God, the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One shepherd. There's words used by different teachers, preachers, writers of Scripture. There were 40 writers. One author. Which are given from one shepherd. And that's what makes the people of God wise. Solomon was wise. He taught the people knowledge. He sought out acceptable words. Those acceptable words were taught. Those acceptable words were like goads. They were like nails fastened. But they all came from one shepherd. No man outside of an inspired writer of Scripture is perfect. Let God be true, but every man a liar. The only thing we can trust is a source document. And so what do we do? When a, when a Paul preaches to us, or a Jonathan Crosby preaches to us, or anyone else gets up and gives a word of exhortation, preaches or does anything. We take it back to the Word of God, check out, did he quote the passage correctly? Is that in its proper context? And see that he was basing his point from the Word of God. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind. That is how we should approach the acceptable words of truth. We should receive them with a ready mind. Not a questioning mind, not a scornful mind, a ready mind. Give it to me. Pierce me. Poke me. Quick, quicken me. Goad me. Fasten a nail of truth in me, O Lord. And we listen to the Word of God. And then we go home, we read our Bibles, and make sure that that's in its context and it came from the Bible and not from Albert Schweitzer. Verse 12, and further, By these my son be admonished. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. One or two minutes, and some of you don't even, this is not a major point. Every commentator, every commentator takes the word these in verse 12 and further, by these, my son be admonished. Every commentator takes these and applies it back to the words of the wise in verses 9 through 11. I have to disagree for at least five reasons. One, further. Further means we're moving forward, not backward. Further. I'm adding something else. Further. Further. My, by these, my son be admonished. Colon. A colon indicates that what has just been described is about to be listed. And what has been described is two admonitions in the plural. By these, these is plural. And there we have two of them. Warnings, which are an admonition, is to put a person in mind of their duties and to warn them against danger that lies in front of them. That's an admonition. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The two warnings in the second half of 12 need to be connected some way or they're just dangling there in space. And they're part of a sentence. Fourth reason, the two warnings are perfect explanations for admonitions. There really hasn't been an admonition given in 9 through 11. Number five, these is a demonstrative pronoun. When we say these are those, by these we mean things that we've been talking about that are nearer than when we use the word those. These and those, this and that, 
are demonstrative pronouns demonstrating whether a thing is close or far. These means they're close. Those means they're farther away in time or space. When we've got a these in a sentence, I'm going to look for the things in the sentence first because these means it's really close at hand. And further, looking forward, and further, in addition to the positive things I've said about the Word of God, Rehoboam, in addition to the positive things I've said about the Word of God, be warned about these two dangers. Be admonished by these things. The making of many books, there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. I do not look back, I look forward. It's a minor point, because you know what? It doesn't really change the intent of the passage. 9 through 11 is all positive about the Word of God. 12 is a warning about something that can steal our hearts and our time and our energies away from the Word of God. And that's what we want to avoid. And further, in addition to the positive things I've just told you about the words of God, my son, be admonished by these two warnings. Of making many books, there is no end. If Solomon could say that in his day, what in the world can we say today? He never saw television, he never heard a radio, and he never surfed the internet. Let alone did he ever go to Barnes & Noble. Have you been to Barnes & Noble? Have you ever gone into a Barnes & Noble catalog? Have you looked at the Library of Congress to see the multitude, untold, countless millions of books that have been written? And now anybody can write. You can have a website. You can have a blog. You can send an email. You can do whatever you want. Anybody can write a book. Of the making of many books, there is no end. We know it better than Solomon did. But this is an inspiration by the Holy Spirit, and it certainly gets to us. Of the making of many books, there is no end. It is too easy to read other books. And not the words of God. It is the words of the wise that are goads. It's the words of the masters of assemblies that are nails fastened. They are the ones that have acceptable words, upright words, and words of truth. These textbooks that our children have to study, and they have to study them. And I've studied them. And they can be studied, and they don't have to shake your faith at all. You can mock them all the way through as you learn to regurgitate the stuff they want you to put in a test. But it's the words of God we want to give our attention to. Of the making of many books, there is no end. Rehoboam, Jonathan Crosby, Rollin Crosby, any one of you, Solomon is saying, be warned, be admonished. There is no end to those books. You will never get to read them all. They will exhaust you, and they will take you away from the Word of God. Second, much study is a weariness of the flesh. The more you read those books, the more tired you're going to be, and you're not going to be able to give your best to the Word of God. Let us, and he goes right on, follow the connection. I hope you can see the connection. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. You don't need to read the millions of books that the world's producing all the time. Your flesh and the clock give you limited time and energy. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. How, how, how big of a book is that? How, isn't that wonderful? Yes. You know, pe- people complain about this. Is this that big of a book? And it's not that big of a book. They've just never tried to read it like they read other books. You know, you can pour through this thing. It's not that big of a book. Especially Ecclesiastes. Of the making of many books, there is no end. My library at the present is one-tenth of what it used to be. But the real library that counts has still got 66 books in it. Amen. Because this is the library that we ought to be studying the most. Of the making of many books, there is no end. A king 
had to run into all sorts of books because he had the means. And men wanted to get the king to endorse or approve or recommend a book. And so kings would face books. And Solomon warned his son and admonished him of the making of many books. There is no end. Son, don't read other things. You know, it is so easy. If you're, if you're given to political theory or political, you want to read those books. If you're given to financial, you like to read those books. Or now it's websites, blogs, or, or newsletters, or emails. But instead, what should we be giving our attention to? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, James, Genesis, Matthew, and the 66 books of the Bible. Because it's the words of the wise, and it's the words of the masters of assembly that are goads and nails fastened. They're the ones that have upright words, even words of truth. They are the ones that are going to teach us wisdom and knowledge. Because the truth of the matter is this simple. Fear God and keep His commandments. So where do we go to learn the commandments of God? Into the Bible. You're not going to find them anywhere else. Into the Bible to find the commandments of God. And they are my meditation all the day long. Therefore, it makes us wiser than enemies, teachers, and ancients. And through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. By these, my son, be admonished. Two things, two warnings in verse 12. Of making many books, there is no end. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. Therefore, since we have limited resources, time, energy... Let us make sure that we allocate the best time and our energy to this book. This book. Because there's no end to other books. They will distract you to the Internet. The greatest danger of the Internet is not porn. The greatest danger of the Internet is the time that it sucks out of our lives in reading when we could be applying that energy to the Word of God. Amen. May the Lord bless us to be thankful that he raised up a wise man who was a preacher, who, taught, who still taught the people knowledge. He didn't quit with Ecclesiastes. He gave us Proverbs, and God raised up about 39 other writers that gave us the rest of the Bible. Do you delight in those words? Do you love God's law? Do you hate vain thoughts? Do you meditate on it all day? Do you read it? Do you esteem the words of his mouth more than your necessary food, like Job did in Job 23? What a wonderful blessing we have in our language from God. He, he spoke the words to Jeremiah. Jeremiah spoke the words to Baruch. Baruch wrote them down in ink. And so we have our Bible. 1,189 chapters, 31,178 verses, and it's precious. It's sweeter than honey to our taste, more precious than gold and silver in value to us. Are you reading it? You can't put it on a nightstand and have it do you any good. doesn't matter that it's in your house. doesn't do you any good. doesn't care. The Lord's not going to care that you have 21, version, 21 editions, 21 copies of the King James Bible in your house when you stand before Him. He's going to want to know if you read it. Have you meditated upon it? Did you appreciate it? Did you love it? Did you exalt it, promote it, defend it? Did you practice it, apply it, learn it? Did you, did you learn to discern good and evil because of it? Did you become a teacher of it or you still need to be taught those things which are the first principles of the oracles of God? Are you growing in your knowledge of the Word of God? May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.